you have a Bible with you, I know that was a lot. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It will be on the screen as well. We'll be in Matthew chapter 26 today. Last week, we started a new series, a new topic for us, uh, that over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at. Uh, And it is the final days leading up to the death of Jesus. All right, and not necessarily in order of how they happened. All right, we're going to kind of change that order slightly here. Partly because next week is what's called Palm Sunday. So we're going to talk about the triumphal entry next week. Today, first Sunday, we usually take communion. So we are talking about uh, the Last Supper today, all right? Uh, But last week, we talked about the setup, all right? Because we wanted to talk about how Jesus didn't just wake up one day and say something offensive to the religious leaders, and they wanted to kill him. This was something that had been in the making. There was tension that had been building. And really at the heart of that tension was that the Israelites had not continued to move forward with the plan that God had for them. All right? God had promised at the beginning to have a special relationship with them and that through that relationship, he would then have a relationship with the entire world. But they enjoyed being God's special people and they were content with that and began to view themselves as this special group, uh, and everyone else was kind of less than them. All right, some of you can maybe think of a few Christians that view themselves in the world that way, like they're part of this special group, and everybody else is less than them. This is where the Israelites were. So Jesus came trying to get them back to the heart of God, not just focusing on laws and traditions and rituals, but focusing on the meaning behind them. All right, God's heart that was behind those laws. Now, Easter season is the biggest season on the Christian calendar, uh, and it is the most significant for us. But it is so easy for us to slip into tradition and doing things just because we've always done them. All right, think about any holiday, Christian or not. We have traditions, and we fall back into those traditions so easily. Instead, we want to dig deep this season to the heart of God and ask him to challenge us to give us a new focus and direction, and that our heart would reflect his heart more and more. And today we're going to have a chance to look at something that for a lot of Christians has become tradition or a ritual, something that should be important and draw us closer to God, but instead we just go through the motions. All right, so I'm excited for this. Let's be ready to be drawn in closer to God today. Uh, Let's just have an attitude that we want to be challenged and we want to grow as we look at the Last Supper, okay? So would you stand with me across this place? Uh, I just want to pray, and then we're going to move on with the rest of our service, all right? God, I pray right now that, uh, that these would be your words, God, that you would speak to us. God, that regardless of what is said today, that you would just have a direct channel to every single one of our hearts, that you would be speaking to us, impressing things on us, uh, showing us things, God, highlighting things in our life that maybe need to change. Lord, and that we would be drawn in to you more and more. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're, we're looking at leading up to Jesus' death. Now, here's the thing. Jesus talked about his death, that he would have to die quite often. If you have read through the Bible, you would have seen this. He's constantly saying it. And even at one point, uh, Peter, one of the disciples, kind of gets in Jesus' face and challenges him. And he's like, quit saying this. Quit saying that you're going to die. All right? And, and Jesus kind of famously says, uh, get behind me, Satan. Like that. That's some strong words to one of your best friends. 
All right, and what's happening? Why does Peter feel like, stop saying this, stop saying you're going to die? Well, they believe that he was the Messiah. And they believe that the Messiah would live forever. Right? And they believe very strongly that he was the Messiah. Jesus at times had even said, yes, I am the Messiah. But they had a misunderstanding. And they believed that, uh, that he would rule forever, he would reign forever, which is true. But they thought that, that meant that he would live forever and that he couldn't die. So every time Jesus would say, uh, I have to die, he'd be like, stop it, stop saying this. All right? And so much of our beliefs and our theology are based around the death of Jesus. And it's incredibly important part of Christianity. But for so much riding on his death, and for so much importance surrounding his death, for so much confusion that the disciples had about his death, Jesus only says twice why he needs to die. All right? And once is just previously to what we're looking at today, back in Matthew chapter 20. And he just says very briefly, I will die as a ransom for many. And that's it. No explanation. No background to it. He just says, I will die as a ransom for many. Matthew chapter 20, he says this. All right? And then the second time is here where we're looking for today. But for as incredibly important of an act as this is, he doesn't get up and give a big sermon. Right? Like he doesn't give the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't have this big long that spans three chapters of our Bible sermon. He doesn't do this big um, speech or anything like that. He doesn't tell some in-depth parable explaining it in ways that they would understand. Jesus talks about why he has to die by eating a meal together. That's weird. That's, it, it's weird. But it's brilliant when we understand what is happening. So apparently it's pretty important that we understand what's going on behind this meal. Uh, and if this is how Jesus chose to explain the reason for his death, like we need to know what's going on. And in order for us to understand communion today, uh, we have to understand this passage and what Jesus is doing at the Last Supper. Like we need to understand what he is doing so we know what communion is. All right, and that's why oftentimes we will read from this passage or the passage in Corinthians where Paul is quoting what happens here today in Matthew. All right, but actually even in order to understand what Jesus is doing with his disciples at the Last Supper, we actually have to understand what Passover is. Because that's what they were celebrating, is Passover. So there's kind of multiple levels here of things happening. All right, and, and to Jesus' disciples or any Jewish person at the time, they fully understood the meaning behind everything in Passover. Passover meal had been going on for uh, like three and a half thousand years at, at, at our point today. Okay, like this meal, every single year, this meal is happening. All right, this isn't something that as a church we really practice, uh, but I, I do have some Christian friends or I know of Christian churches that do. And then obviously, Jewish people today, they still practice Passover. Maybe you've heard of like a Seder meal. Uh, it's kind of the same thing here. And I, I want to walk through our passage today. And as we do that, point back to some things in the original Passover and what's going on to try and bring this all together for us today. All right, so I want to read some of Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to be starting in verse 17 here. All right, and we're going to figure out what's going on. So verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? All right, so the festival of unleavened bread and Passover, technically two different things, happen at the same time of the year. So they kind of overlapped. And they both find their roots in the same 
original starting place, all right? But two different things that are going on here. Verse 18, as you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the, the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. All right, so as we've said, the Passover meal has tons of symbolism in it. All right, and it was meant to be interactive and teaching and a reflecting type of meal. So you had to prepare it with very specific things. There were different elements that had to be part of it. It wasn't just like, hey, go make a meal, and then we're going to say we're celebrating Passover. Like nowadays, we kind of say, hey, we're going to have an Easter meal or a Christmas Eve meal, but there's not a whole lot other than maybe your family's individual traditions that have to be part of it, right? And sometimes you're like, so help me, if there is not cornflake crusted cheesy potatoes, I will flip the table. All right, so you're sitting here and you're like, no, there are parts of the meal that have to be there. If my green bean casserole is not there, I will be upset. There will be words that will be had. All right, but it's still, it's just our personal traditions. Like for them, there were parts of this meal that they had to be present because the whole meal is super symbolic. All right, uh, and so this is going on. Two of the disciples, Peter and John, actually were told in the book of Luke are the ones. They go into town, they prepare this meal, getting all the necessary components together. All right, they don't know what Jesus is planning. They are planning Passover, so they get all of that together. All right, and when we read through this account, we only see two different components talked about, the bread and the cup, the bread and the wine, right? Uh, but with the disciples preparing it, it makes sense to believe that, that all the other pieces of the meal were there. Now, Jesus doesn't allude to all of them, and actually the gospel writers, I think, leave some out as well, and I think that that's on purpose, and, and we'll see that here today. So verse 20, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. Now between the four Gospels, there's a bit of a discrepancy of what day this happens on. I'm actually not even going to go into that. I'm cutting that because I just want us to keep moving here. Uh, but essentially, understand this. There's a little bit of an argument of did this happen on this day or the day before. Their days started when the sun went down. So essentially, it'd be like if you celebrated Thanksgiving at midnight on Thanksgiving Day. Not really when you should celebrate it. Technically, it's Thanksgiving. That's kind of what's happening here is what most scholars think. Uh, they're kind of like a day ahead, but technically it works. All right. Uh, so they, they sit down to eat, and, and we get this mental image of the Last Supper. All right. And what is the image that we usually get? What's the image that we always get from the Last Supper? All right. Maybe you have it in your head here. Yes. Thanks to Leonardo da Vinci for this mental image. All right, everyone, take this in. Now get rid of it. Okay, completely remove this from your mind. This is nothing like what was going on. All right, like it's a great painting. But the words in verse 20 here uh, should be translated actually as they reclined at the table. And many Bibles will have a footnote that says that. And, and in fact, uh, reclining had symbolism behind it. As I said, all of this is very symbolic. It was something royalty did. It was a sign of their freedom, that they would kind of recline. They would lay down as they eat, and people would kind of wait on them. And it was showing their freedom that they had. So there would be this table uh, in the middle, and, and you would often have kind of three sofas around it, maybe some large pillows. And you would lay down with your left hand, propping your head up, and you would eat with your right hand. Very specific, all right? Uh, seems odd, but... It made this very close, intimate dining experience. And based off of some of the dialogue that happens in Scripture, here's probably a potential layout of what was happening here. All right, because at one point, there's different conversations that happen. 
And this will make a little bit more sense then, I think. So in the book of John, we see Peter trying to get John to ask Jesus a question about who would betray him. And this dialogue between Judas and Jesus, I've always wondered, like, why does no one else in the room hear Jesus saying, like, the things that he says to Judas? Why do they not understand that he's the one maybe that's going to betray him and different things? And what would happen is when you lay like this, you could essentially kind of go like this and talk to the person behind you. Like your head was like about where their chest was. So it made it so that you could have this big conversation, but there was also very personal conversations happening that other people wouldn't be able to hear. All right? Uh, and, And this is kind of what's going on. So verse 21, while they were eating, He said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. All right, so they sit down and begin eating, and the meal would actually start with them uh, taking a lettuce leaf, okay, something kind of similar to this, uh, and, and, and they would swirl it around in this little cup that had this liquid in it, okay, and it's kind of this clear liquid. They'd swirl it around, and then they would take a bite of it, and I'm not going to take a bite of this right now, because then you're going to hear me chewing soggy lettuce, and that just sounds gross, all right, but they, so they would, they would do that. Uh, And and most likely what is happening here, again, everything is symbolic. What this is representing, what this lettuce and and this bowl, is this will be pointing back to Joseph. All of this is about their time in Egypt, the slavery in Egypt, and them leaving Egypt. Okay, now if you know the story of Joseph, Joseph has this special coat, and his brothers, uh, Joseph is the favorite of their father. His brothers do not like him because of that. At one point they see him, they beat him up, they take his jacket, they're like, let's kill him. And then they are like, ah, we're nicer than that. Let's just sell him into lifelong slavery. All right? So they sell him into slavery, they take his jacket, and what do they do with the jacket? They kill a goat, and they take the blood of the goat, and they put it on the jacket, bring it back to dad, and say, Joseph has died, a wild animal attacked him. And that is the start of them in Egypt. Joseph is sold into slavery, brought to Egypt, And that is how their whole family gets there. And this right here is symbolic of his jacket, his his coat that he has being swirled in the blood. All right, and it's this entire meal is bringing them back and putting them back. It is supposed to make every generation that takes part of this meal to feel like they are the generation that is in Egypt and leaving Egypt, okay? So that's what's going on uh, right here. And then, uh, at this point, then they would take the cup of wine and they'd do this kind of in between each thing. All right, and the cup of wine, this is grape juice, technically grape crayon, I think. All right, and, and they would take this and they would do this in between different parts of the meal and they would say something specific during the meal. They'd say this, uh, may you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. And they would say this in Hebrew and it would be sung and they would take a sip. And they would put this down, and they'd continue in the meal as it goes. And kids would be present in this meal. Uh, they would be asking tons of questions. Why are we doing this? What does that mean? That thing that you just did. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why is this night different from others? Why are we eating unleavened bread only? Uh, the bitter herbs. Why do we dip vegetables in this? Why are we reclined at the table? 
All right, this is a typical Passover meal. Question, questions are being asked. It is a teaching time for kids. All right, it is remembrance, recalibrating, and teaching. So Jesus is leading this meal, and he's doing this. All right, and all the disciples, they would know this. They've been doing this their whole life. They're going through the motions. And all of a sudden, Jesus drops this bombshell of an announcement in the middle of this. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. As they are doing this uh, lettuce thing, remembering Joseph, right? Remembering Joseph being betrayed by his brothers. Jesus says, one of you, one of my brothers will betray me. They're like, what? Where is this coming from? All right, and they, they all start asking these questions. And each gospel portrays this scene a little differently. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Matthew, Judas asks and Jesus answers. That's what we read. Uh, but it doesn't mention Judas getting up and walking out. In Mark, uh, he never interacts with Judas in this dialogue. In Luke, never mentions Judas during this time. In John, John asks Jesus, and Jesus says, the one I give the bread to, and he dips it and gives it to Judas. And Judas gets up and leaves. And it says all the disciples, they have no idea. They think Judas had to go and pay for their meal or something. So you can see, again, how with this layout of the room, with them laying down like that, why all the disciples would be confused, why they don't know that Judas is the one that's betraying him. Because if these conversations are happening very close quarter like this, not everyone hears what's going on. All right? So all the disciples are freaking out and asking, is it me? I could never do that. It couldn't be me. Jesus, not me. And the ironic thing here is in just a few hours, every single one of them will betray him when he's arrested and they all run away. All right, and so Jesus continues with the meal. Uh, and they would read through or sing through kind of a call and response of Psalm 113. They would drink the wine again. They would say, may you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. They would keep going with the meal. Uh, Gamaliel, he was a rabbi. Uh, maybe you've heard his name before. He was the rabbi that Paul, or Saul, says he was taught under. All right? And, and Gamaliel says that there are three things that have to be part of a Passover meal, or it's not Passover. The first is unleavened bread, okay, from the original story. Uh, unleavened bread was basically, they didn't have time to wait for yeast to rise. They were all running from Egypt. So unleavened bread is part of this. And it says, verse 26, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples. Okay, again, they're slipping back into the motion. Just same things that they've always done with this meal every single year since they were kids. But then as he's handing it out, he drops this other crazy thing. He says, take this and eat it. For this is my body. Remember, there is already symbolism attached to this. And he's saying, okay, I'm removing that symbolism. This is my body. All right, and if you've ever made bread before, you know the process that goes into it, okay? And not like a bread machine. All right, you take the dough. Think of the physical toll that happens on that dough. All right, there is stretching and kneading and smacking and pounding, and it gets beaten. All right, bread is the source of life, of sustenance for people. Especially at this time, almost every meal would have bread. We live by bread. It sustains us. But now Jesus is saying his body will sustain us. All right, Jesus had said to Satan when he's being tempted, man does not live by bread alone, but by the words of the eternal one. 
That's a quote from Deuteronomy having to do with manna in the desert when the Israelites had to learn to rely on God to sustain them instead of their own, we have bread, we have meat, we can take care of ourselves. They had to rely on God to sustain them. And Jesus is taking this and saying, this is my body, my body is what needs to sustain you. I'm changing the symbolism with this. And Jesus would take the bread, he'd say, may you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the land. Constant reminder of God as king and as their provider. Next in the meals, what Gamaliel would say is needed would be the bitter herb. And this isn't mentioned in any of our accounts of the Last Supper. Uh, So we don't know, but we can almost guarantee that it was at least present at the meal. And and I want to do this because this is going to be important later as we close this service and I, and I challenge us. And the bitter herb is something that they would take, and I have here straight-cut horseradish, which is actually what a lot of modern Jewish people will use for the bitter herb in this meal. All right? Now, this is not like mustard horseradish. That dilutes it. This is something else, and I am going to eat this. All right? And I ate some this morning. And it was not great. And here's what's supposed to happen. When you eat the bitter herb, it is essentially supposed to make you cry. It's supposed to bring tears. Because it is supposed to remind them of their time in Egypt. And how the Egyptians put brutal slave masters over them and made their lives bitter, is what scripture says. And it's important to remember where we come from. So we can know where we're going. So they'd have this bitter herb. They'd put it on bread or on lettuce. All right. Say a prayer for me. (laughs) That stings. And this is what it was supposed to do. This is what was supposed to happen during this meal. Oh, man. Because it is symbolic. It's supposed to bring these tears to your eyes. You're supposed to go through this. And you're supposed to remember and feel. You're supposed to be part of the story. This is not tradition. This is something that you are part of. And you get tears in your eyes. And it burns. And it is such a small reminder of the life that they were delivered from. And that's part of Passover. And it's not mentioned in our passages here. But I guarantee this was at least present in the meal. Whether or not they did it that night or Jesus skipped over it. I'm going to take a second here. And they would drink another round of wine. And they actually would. I'm not just doing this to wash this down. All right, but I am going to wash it down. And they, they would take it and they would say, say their little thing. That helps a little. All right, but this time actually when they take the wine, Jesus does it differently. He takes a cup of wine, gives thanks to God for it. This is verse 27. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. 
It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. This is my blood that confirms the covenant between God and his people. What, what is Jesus getting at from the original story of Passover here? Because he's always bringing us back to the original story. What is he getting at here? Well, the whole purpose of Passover is from the last plague in Egypt that eventually led Pharaoh to release the Israelites. God had said that the last plague was going to rival what Pharaoh had done. Sorry, I'm going to be sniffing the rest of the time because that, that horseradish just clears you out. Hopefully that doesn't bother you. See, Pharaoh had killed an entire generation of Israelite boys by having them thrown into the Nile River. That's when Moses was put in the basket and he escapes and is raised in Pharaoh's house. All right, so God says that the angel of death, thank you. I'm going to keep the whole box up here. Oh, I'd love to say that's going to make me stop sniffing, but it's not. Kyle would have made a joke there and he would have slurred that and said, it's snot. I just caught that afterwards. Pastor Kyle in Sock Center loves his dumb little pun jokes. And, and the church enables him. Guys, don't do it. If you ever go to Sock Center, when you laugh at his jokes, you are enabling him. We have to stage an intervention for him or something. All right. So God says that the angel of death is going to come and kill the firstborn in the land of Egypt. All right, but, but God does something in this that Pharaoh didn't. God provides a way out. Because that's God's character. That when there's judgment, he provides a way out. He provides an escape. He says, uh, if you instead kill a firstborn lamb, you eat the lamb as part of your Passover meal, and you spread the blood of the lamb on the sides and on the top of the doorway, then the angel will pass over your house. And your firstborn will not pay the penalty that they were supposed to. Okay, that, that's what Passover is. Now here's the thing. There's a third piece of the Passover meal that you have to have to be considered a Passover meal. All right? But all of the authors have chosen not to have it in their stories. The lamb is missing. Why is that? Right? Like you have to have a lamb to be part of the Passover meal. Jesus is pointing his disciples to the wine being a symbol of his blood that will be poured out. The blood will then remove the penalty that is supposed to be paid. The blood of the lamb is what provides the way out, the escape from the price that is supposed to be paid. Jesus is saying that it, uh, this is his blood, and the authors, I believe, in choosing not to include the lamb in the meal, are pointing their readers to the fact that Jesus is the Passover lamb. I know it doesn't take a big stretch for us here this morning to realize that. Jesus, the only other time talking about his death, says that he will pay the ransom for many. This meal was one of the best ways that Jesus could have shown why he needed to die. He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't share a parable. He shared a meal. A meal that was steeped in symbolism. And then he took that symbolism and he pointed it to him. All right, you see, originally, through the Lamb, Yahweh rescues the Israelites from slavery to Pharaoh. Now Jesus picks this up and he swaps out all of the players, all the characters in the story. Instead, through Jesus, Yahweh rescues the world 
from slavery to sin and death. And Jesus is always doing this. Constantly in his ministry, he is pointing back to the Old Testament, pointing back to the Old Covenant, pointing back to the stories and saying, I am fulfilling this. And that's why if we today completely get rid of the Old Testament and say it's just about the New Testament, it's just about Jesus, like we are missing a massive part of what the story is and the symbolism and the meaning and what we should be taking to heart. The problem is, is we far too often don't take the time to understand the Old Testament, to understand the symbolism, to understand what's going on. And we get scared away by things and we're like, I don't know, God, it sure seems like God wanted a whole group of people to be killed brutally. Like, I I don't know about that. And the reality is we we need to press in and understand these things and not just take them at surface level because there's so much that's going on in Scripture. And Jesus is pointing back to this. He does it all the time. John the Baptist, he baptized people in the Jordan River. Baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Why is that special? The Jordan River was significant in the story of the Israelites. They left the desert. They had been in the desert. They went down into the Jordan River. They cross over the Jordan River. When they come out the other side, they are on the promised land. They are in the promise that God has given them. They are supposed to live this out. They're supposed to continue the plan that God has for them, pass it on to all people, but instead they they point inwards and they take it and they like being God's special people. Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River, he is symbolically going into the Jordan River, coming back up and going into the promised land to fulfill what the Israelites never could. He does this nonstop in his ministry and we miss it because we don't understand it. I'm telling you, I miss it because I don't understand it. It's not until I dig into things that we begin to see how this comes alive and has meaning in our life and should be changing us today and making a difference in our life. Freedom can be hard. The Israelites took their freedom for granted. They forgot why they were free to begin with. And in the midst of their freedom, they began to complain and say, why can't we just go back to Egypt? We had a good life there. See, Jesus has paid a massive price for our freedom. We were rescued from slavery, just like the Israelites. Slavery to our sin. But how often... Do we get sick of living in freedom because it's hard? Can I just go back to living my life the old way? Prior to me giving my life to Jesus, things were a lot easier. Can I just focus on what I want to do and what's best for me as an individual? Because when we get freedom through Jesus, there is responsibility that comes with that freedom. In the same way that responsibility came to the Israelites when they were chosen as God's people. It wasn't a special status, it was a special responsibility. I love the idea of the bitter herb because it was a way to remind them that the old life wasn't as good as what they may think it is at times. When life gets hard, you reminisce back and you're thinking about it and you're reminiscing about all these things. You're like, oh man, my life was so good, so much easier. I had my whole weekend, I didn't have to get up and go to church. I had all my money, I never felt like I had to give money anywhere else. And oh, I just, I did what I wanted. Life was easier. See, the bitter herb reminds us of life was not always great. 
there was a bunch of junk that was involved in that. Slavery was hard. Our slavery to sin is hard and it's difficult. So today we are going to take communion together in response. And here's what I'm going to do. I told you guys I was going to play something up here. Andrea, if you can just pull up a little bit of uh, something and Grant, just play from the computer quietly um, as we kind of do this response time. We're going to take communion together uh, in response. And as we do this today, it's a communal thing. It isn't meant to be individual. Nothing about the Christian life is meant to be individual. Okay, understand that. There's nothing about you being a Christian that is ever just about you. It is about a community. It always is. All right, it's about coming together, doing this together, thinking about each other. So maybe, as we're doing this today, I have a few ways that maybe you need to respond. This is a house All right, there's a few ways that maybe you need to respond today. Maybe you're realizing that there are some ways uh, that you have wronged somebody or you have hurt someone. Somebody in your family, a coworker, someone you can't stand. Maybe even someone you've never met, but you just have ill will towards them. Okay, maybe it's somebody that is thousands of miles away sitting in a government building and you have a ton of ill will towards them. I'm telling you, all right, that's, that's most people. There's somebody that you have an issue with and if you could, you, yeah, you would just take it to them. All right, and we need to, we need to understand this, that like, we need to realize that Jesus rescued you from that type of thinking, that type of life. And you need to make those situations right. Sometimes that means going to somebody and physically making it right. Sometimes that's not possible. All right? Jesus is reconciling you to the Father, and we need to reconcile with those around us. So this is a way that maybe you need to respond today as we are taking communion. This is where your heart needs to be going, your mind, your thoughts need to be going in this. Maybe you have hurt somebody, you have a poor relationship, you need to reconcile that. Maybe you need to repent of parts of your life becoming tradition, your life being focused on the wrong things. Hopefully communion can take on a new meaning for you today and not just something that you do once a month. Okay? I think for a lot of us, this idea of communion becomes so structured, so traditional, that in the moment we don't ever stop and think about it. It doesn't mean anything to us. We just go through the motions. All right. And lastly, maybe like the Israelites, you need to be grounded in who you are. Every year, the Israelites would be influenced by the nations around them. All right. Passover was the start of the year. And they would go all year and they'd be influenced by everybody around them. The other, the other nations would be worshiping other gods. They'd have other traditions. And pretty soon they would start to slip into that. And they'd be like, ah, that's, that sounds like a fun celebration. I want to do that. I want to worship that God. That sounds, that sounds like a great time. And they'd be influenced by the culture that was around them. And we are no different. But what would happen is every single year, they would come back to Passover and it would be this moment that starts their year over. And in that moment, they are taken back to everything that they are about, to the roots of who they are, to who God is to them, to what their relationship with God is, to why they have this relationship. And they would go through this Passover meal and it would restart for them. And they would start that new year hopefully focused on God.
I can almost guarantee that for most of us, when we take communion once a month on the first Sunday, we are not being brought back to everything of where we have come from. We are not being brought back to what Scripture would say, restore in me the joy of, of your salvation. Like, we need to remember where we came from. Remember what we were rescued from. Remember that it is Jesus that did that, and he has brought us somewhere. And that the life that we have now in him is so much better than anything that could have been in, in the previous way of living. Like, th this is huge for us. And this is what communion is. So this morning, you just need to be grounded, maybe, and reminded of who you are. And that who you are is not set by this world. Who you are is not determined by anybody else around you. Who you are is not determined by what you do, the choices you make, who your parents are, the job that you work, the town that you live in. That is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. And he sets that. He's the only one that determines that. So I want us to take communion together. I'm going to read from some of the passages. And we'll take this, and I, and I want you to, as you do this, stop and reflect on some of these things and allow this to be something special that changes you today. For I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the land. Jesus, I pray right now that we would remember the sacrifice that your body went through, and you went through it willingly. God, but I pray that as we remember that, of how your body was, was beaten and broken, we also remember that your body is the sustenance of life for us. That everything that we do is focused on you, is dependent on you. God, I pray that we would understand that. We would make decisions, we'd live our life based on that, that you are our provider. You are our source of life. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. I like that phrase that they said. I like that. King of the world, who provides for me. Jesus, I thank you for the provision of a way out, of an escape. God, our sin should result in the penalty of death. But instead, you provided a way out. You sacrificed your son. Jesus, you went willingly to the cross. You made this sacrifice for us. 
God, I pray that we would remember that your blood covers all of our sins. Not just what we've done in the past. God, the things that are still present in our life right now and the things that are still going to happen in the future, your blood covers all of that. And we are passed over when it comes to judgment because of that. Jesus, thank you. Let's take the cup together. I want to challenge us as we go into this Easter season and we continue. It's getting closer and closer. What in your life has become tradition with God that shouldn't be tradition? What in your life needs to regain some symbolism and some meaning that over time has been lost? And over the next few weeks, what does that look like as you get closer and closer to Easter? Could you do something with family during an Easter meal just to recenter and refocus and bring everything back to Jesus? I want you to be praying about that. If you're here today, maybe you've never made a decision to follow after Jesus. Maybe you'd say, he isn't king of my life. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. In fact, the connect cards that are in here, or you could grab one even afterwards, you can mark a box on the back that just says, I want to follow Jesus. All right, and I want to get in contact with you. I want to walk you through what does that look like? Because again, the Christian life is never just about us. It's not an individual thing. This is about a community. That's how Jesus set it up from the beginning. Why don't we stand? I'm going to close with some prayer. I know we went long today. God, I pray that right now you would just be putting things in our heart. Lord, that you would just um, show us things, areas of our life that have become tradition that we don't seem to care about anymore. God, and that you would show us a new way, a new way to focus on you, to celebrate, to reflect. God, that we would be challenged today uh, to be teaching others this. God, whether it's our own children, whether it's other people, whether we are taking somebody by the hand and just kind of uh, walking them closer to you as we are walking closer to you. God, whatever that looks like, that we would do this in community. God, that we would be challenged, we would grow, and we leave here today with something new to put into action, something new that we want to uh, focus on, God, and that all of this would draw us closer to your heart this week. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.